Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got an heart. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey everybody. What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And we are continuing with our October of Exorcist. Yes, tonight. So excited to be tapping into the 1973 film version of The Exorcist. Yep. And um, this, I got to give credit for a couple of my references for this episode. Um, I have a creepy ca- catalog article or two that I stole from. I also have an amazing article by Duck Eve Films called The Exorcist, Finding the Horror in Womanhood. And, of course, I borrowed from Barbara Creed's The Monstrous Feminine from 1993. Uh, so there's my references, Jackie. There we go. Yeah. And uh, very special year for The Exorcist as we are celebrating its 50th anniversary this coming December. It's been, in, you know... Not it's been in theater since 1973. <laughs> Feels it, like it, though. Yeah, it is, uh, yeah, released 50 years ago this coming December. And I think it is as effective then as it is now. And we'll tap into personal stories about it and some funny stories about it. But uh, let's, where, where do we start with this? Where do we, I mean, this is such a monster. Where do we even begin with the It is such a monster. And, and it's funny because when you think it's 50 years old, I think back on my childhood and like, in the 80s, 50 years old was movies from the 30s. It makes me, like, feel nauseous and old. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, a couple of fast facts, I think, are, is a good place to jump in. Of course, Blatty writes the screenplay and produces this. So it does, you know, have his very much his stamp on it. Um, and this was, interestingly, almost a Kubrick film. He turned it down. And, Thank God. <laughs> and, of course, William Friedkin gets it. Oh, Friedkin was such a fucking asshole, though. He's, he wasn't half as much of an asshole as Kubrick. Well, fair, yeah, true. But, I mean, he was a maniac on set, right? I mean... Yeah, he I mean, he was the kind of director that would fire a gun on set to get somebody's reaction. And right. legitimately tried to scare um, Linda Blair. Mm-hmm. Like, he would really... I mean, there was... Oh, he was such a creeper. Uh, yeah, like, because yeah. he was the kind of director... I guess, like, a, almost like there's a method actor, like a method director that wants to physically jolt you or like make the actor put that actor in an absolute real situation to get that reaction just for the sake of the film yeah but he did so without in my opinion fully having the blessing like of of the stars around him i mean they weren't in none of these people were in a position with the exception of a couple of the older actors to be like yeah i'm not fucking down with this so it's like i feel like it's it's an asshole move because he's doing it to a child and he's doing it to like ellen bernston and he's doing like i don't know i just feel like he was a jerk um, and, and things like keeping the room really cold because he wanted the breath to be real just feels so shitty to me. Um, but he even, like, the big argument I use about why he was a jerk was he even rallied for New York to be where most of the shooting that wasn't in D.C. was so that he could avoid the California laws about only allowing children to work for four hours a day. Like, he was a jerk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. I, I just thought some of his techniques on set are are questionable no i mean to be perfectly honest ellen burston uh suffered an injury the in one of the scenes when she is pulled back or there was a harness that was pulling her back after reagan smacks her and across the room 
And she was yanked. I mean, uh, Friedkin said, yank her. Yank her hard. And she actually suffered a back injury. Yeah. And the take that was used is her legitimately in agony from the back pain. And again, that's that's all stuff that is yeah. cringy and inappropriate to me. So, um, And the another person who got really used and abused by this film is Mercedes McCambridge, who was the voice of Reagan's yeah. Pazuzu, if you yeah. will. Um, I mean, she literally gave up her own sobriety to be the demon. She, like, went back to chain smoking, went back to drinking, like, did things like eat raw eggs on set to try to get the voice down. And they, they thanked her by, like, not even including her freaking name in the movie originally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is so mean. But now she is listed, thankfully. And um, her, her like, method acting, for lack of a better term. I mean, at least she did this herself and of her own volition. Mm-hmm. But, True. man, that is an intense amount of commitment to getting your Reagan voice down. And and it is an iconic voice, mm. right? I mean, oh good God. Lord. Um, so, yeah, so Jack Nicholson almost played Father Karras. Thank God he didn't. I knew you were going to say that. But, of course, then it goes to Jason Miller. And I've got some weird stuff about Jason Miller later. But and one of my well, – another favorite little tidbit I learned was that when this, <laughs> when this came out, Billy Graham told his followers that just watching it could bring a demon into your life. But that brings us perfectly to the transition of the hullabaloo behind this movie when yes. it first came out. Um, and most of this kind of was – the epicenter for all of this hullabaloo was New York City. Of course, all the major cities saw this. But when this film came out, it became – a cultural ph- phenomenon but most of the most of the hype was just that it was just hype um i think the movie theaters kind of realized kaching and oh, so they yeah. did things like hand out the vomit bags and everything but there were people who were weirdly affected by this film there were definitely and i actually found this really cool article from the new york times from 1973 and it was basically making fun of men because it said that nine out of ten people who left the movie because they couldn't handle it in the movies in like Times Square were men, really, and I think yeah. that's fascinating because it's I to me it just speaks so highly of like how much women endure and like how much women connected to this film I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, two people, what well, well one person uh, did in fact pass out during the movie and she broke her jaw and she sued Warner Brothers. Oh wow! And this would have been a really fascinating case to me if it had went to courts. Because, like, could the, the studio be held liable for the fact that she couldn't handle it, so she passed out? Because mm-hmm. she did really hurt herself. Yeah. You um, know what, though? But, like, I, I, you're not walking into The Exorcist thinking it's a Disney movie. No, like, but you I'm, are you're not con- walking you know, in thinking you're going to physically adversely no. react to the film. No, but, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, that's kind of like the sue the gun company because you got shot by a Smith and Wesson kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. I that one, yeah, no, I, I call, I call BS on that. Like I don't, you know. Obviously, somebody gets hurt, that's no good. But yeah. to to sue Warner Brothers because you got so scared in the scary movie, you fell down and broke your jaw. I mean, to me, you're trying to bank on your embarrassment. Yeah, no, that's fair, and and I think that. Um... Uh, like I said, I think it would have been interesting if it went to court, but, I mean, she won. Warner, Warner Brothers settled. They gave yeah, her money. I mean, so good on her, you know? I, to me, this also seems a lot like when, you know, Alfred Hitchcock was hyping Psycho, and yeah, there was the yeah, whole, like, like... don't go in after it starts yeah, yeah, or you whatever. you can't go in after you right. start, you can't leave. You know, William Castle famously had all of his mm-hmm. theatrics in the theater, so when things get hyped up, when word of mouth happens... Right. So, so few... So, so little of this was real. Yeah. Um, I will say filing this under the weird shit and we'll talk about the curses on the film in just a minute but I guess we could just transition with this one this was one of my favorite facts that I found out in that during a screening of the movie like during the opening uh, opening week weekend 
a bolt of lightning struck a tur- church and destroyed it with fire right across from like the opening day cinema of the exorcist oh, wow. in Rome. So it was like, there was just really cool kind of spooky shit associated with this film. Most people know these, but I think it's a good, it's a good time to just kind of go over some of the curses. Of sure. The film. Um, well, first of all, so Miller, this is my favorite one. And this was one that I dug for and I'm very proud of. Um, apparently Jason Miller drops out of being a priest for lack of belief. So he goes into Hollywood. He winds up, uh, getting picked for this role right after he gets the role, a priest walks up to him, hands him a medallion and says to him, and I quote, reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will try to stop you when you are trying to unmask him. And again, I'm going to give creepy catalog credit for that, but man, that is, that is spooky. Like, that's a weird coinky dink. He it just is. takes the role of the priest in The Exorcist, and somebody's like, "The devil's gonna get you." Jason Miller is—I can't. You know, we talked about it in last week's episode about Karis being a hero or is he not a hero? And I had mentioned that I had such a soft spot for Karis, but I think that's not just because of the written character in the book, but because of Jason Miller's portrayal. Um, I mean, Jason Miller, who uh, famously was a playwright and had an extremely successful, uh, oh, I forget what it's called. It's some like sports related thing. And I was watching a documentary about it and they talk about how, you know, here is somebody that never really sought out fame. You know, this is somebody who kind of just wanted to do what he did. You know, and just, you know, here, I, I made this art. I created this art. That champion season. The champion right. season. Thank you Sorry. very much. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. And, I mean, even after The Exorcist, you know, he skyrockets to fame. Um, he ends up just moving back home to, to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and kind of just lives his life. And, you know, he doesn't do much more. Obviously, he does come back. He's not completely gone from Hollywood. Um, we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, but he does come back for The Exorcist Part 3. So, I don't know. Like, I just have such an absolute soft spot for him because, I mean, his portrayal was, it was, God, it was just so good. Like I said, I, I cry every time. And then, you know, if for nothing else, because of Jason Miller, his kid goes on to Hollywood and yep. then, you know, we have Michael and the Lost Boys mm-hmm. being the cutie patootie that he is. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have the connection to that role that you do or that character. Mm-hmm. So for me, Miller's just okay. And mm-hmm. the character never feels fully flushed out for me. And I'm going to get to that in a little while because okay. it's going to be a tough conversation for me to have with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I'm worried. Okay. Well, I'm glad. You should be. <laughs> um, but getting back to like some of the weird spooky shit that happened on, on set. Um, the, one of the things was that, of course, like the weird deaths, like, you know, Jack McGowan who played Burke would die right before the filming was over, uh, was fully over the house catches fire and Reagan's room magically is completely untouched. Um, of course that, right. The, there was an actual murderer who's, who was like in one of the medical scenes, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Linda Blair's literally gets ridiculously hurt throughout this entire movie. Uh, they throw out her back with the bed. They do all this kind of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, Father Karras, the guy who played Father Karras, has like three deaths in his family over the span of the filming. This like just spooky stuff that you know for people like me who are susceptible to like the spookiness. I love the like I love a good cursed film, and a lot of the stuff I did also steal from like the cursed film series on Shutter, yeah. which was fun. Um, but let's let's talk about the film itself for a minute because when it comes out, 
the reviews were not great on this film. Yeah. Um, some people really loved it, but some people didn't. In fact, the New York Times famously slams the movie, and I'm going to quote what they say because I don't disagree. The Exorcist is claptrap. It is hardly any narrative to speak of. And what it has contained more loose ends than the first draft of a 20,000-page novel. The entire Iraqi sequence is superfluous window dressing. Unlike a lot of extremely dumb vampire movies, it's about nothing else but what it says, demonic possession and exorcist. Although for a spec- uh, to be skeptical, even that would be defensible and possibly fun. I do think there's some plot issues with this film. That's the most pretentious fucking thing I've ever heard. I knew heard. you'd be so annoyed by it. Why can't a movie just be what it is? But this film, if you, listen, I love it. I'm going to just for go on the record as saying that I love this film, but I'm going to also argue that from a plot point and from a storytelling perspective, there's a lot left to desire in the storytelling there's so many things that are thrown in and never fully flushed out i feel like you're looking at me like you've never oh i'm judging i'm I'm judging you no that's fair and this is this is actually exciting because i can't believe you're the one who's being really like mad that i haven't i'm just gently suggesting i am gently suggesting that perhaps there are parts of the story that are like okay so who did who messed up the church reagan how do you know well it's never like, there's so many, there's so it's, many things that they subtle. never get to. But it's not subtle. It's just unresolved. Like no, the bird, the bird no, she's I, painting. I, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, same yeah. paint. Right. That's why uh, Kinderman takes the samples. Like, so we're we're to we're to suddenly now also think that she's been escaping into the, into, yeah, into like the, the windows, society. The windows are open. Okay. She's. A, I mean, how is about, she able to kill Burke? She literally turns his head completely around and pushes him out the window. Correct. Before she gets strapped, like, then they start strapping her down, right? Well, even when they do, yeah. she's able to break the straps. Yeah. I guess I there's also there's also plot points that feel a little undersettled for me, like the, the caretakers, like um, the whether or not what's-her-face is witchy, the Sharon, you know, like, I don't know. I just, just to play devil's advocate and support the New York Times... If you look at this film with a real liter- like critical lens, there are some flaws in storytelling. I'm trying to be so gentle because I'm so scared of you. Oh, you should be. Yeah, you absolutely fair. should be. I, th- I think that that is a really pretentious write-up to, to say no, that Oh, it movie... is, and it's fun. It's like a fun, like I did it to be uh, a pain in the balls, okay. you know? Okay. But I, I agree with you that it's pretentious, but I don't think it's wrong to say that there are some flaws in the storytelling. Every single movie has flaws in the storytelling. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm never going to get you to, You're to never, speak an never, unkind word about, about. And I'm not trying to have you support this. I'm just trying to yeah. say that at the end of the day, there are some, to me, as much as The Exorcist is a great film, there are some, some issues with storytelling and pacing. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Sorry. Moving on very quickly. And I think a lot of the power of this film comes from the mythology behind it. So let's mm-hmm. get into Pazuzu. And you actually schooled me on Pazuzu today. Pazuzu. Um, the, they decide, they, they go with the demon of Pazuzu, which to be fair in the film, I don't think they ever overtly until the extended editions. The original cut of the film never directly references Pazuzu, I was told, from the reading of the book. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of, again, it's one of those things it's where, from, I mean, we see, we see Marin, you know, in Iraq. I think the assumption, especially in 1973, especially in the 70s, I think the assumption is most people going into this have probably read the book. Like, this was a worldwide phenomena book. 
They now made a movie about it. Only because of Happy Accident, yeah. I think that it's one of those things where it's the assumption that people have read the book. And having done that and then watching the movie, I don't think you need as much context because you know because you've read the book kind of thing. Like, I don't think this was a kind of movie... I mean, I'm sure there, I mean, that's too general. There are plenty of people that went to see this movie just because, hey, I like scary movies. But I think a and lot of the people, people watch it without having read the book. Right. But yeah. I think then, because, I mean, the book comes out in 71, this comes out in 73, you know, it, it, the, the crossover, I think, is greater of people that have read the book and, you know what I mean? Yeah, than there is now. Then there is the context right. of, okay, we see him in Iraq, we see the Pazuzu statue. I mean, I will say that the the image of uh, Father Marin and that one scene in the beginning where it's like Father Marin and then there's like a giant Pazuzu you, statue. You wouldn't argue that Father Marin is slightly not fully realized. Would expand? What do you mean? Like, do you, like I mean, how do you feel that he's not fully realized? Because I feel like they show me this guy. He's he, in some way he's connected to this demon, and they are at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. And so I expect to go on, when I'm watching the beginning of the film, I expect to be going on this journey with him in some way. It stops very abruptly Mm -hmm. and shifts to Reagan. Yes. Which is fine, because then I'm on the, then I'm like, okay, cool, I'm on the journey with her. But when he comes back and he decides to face the demon, I know nothing else. So you've introduced a character, and I'm supposed to just accept that this is meaningful, but they've never said anything other than shown me that he finds a statue. Well, there's discussion about him uh, when with Karis, sure. Karis, yeah, and then sure. When the two the two other priests are deciding about stuff. They're they're bringing up Marin, and but again, it's hard when he comes back at the end. You're kind of just like, okay, he's back, he's here. See, I see. For me, it wasn't he's that way. He's a little way. bit of a red herring to me. <laughs> um, I think, not even a red herring. I think I because know. of I think I felt his importance because one of my favorite scenes is when he first steps into the house. Yeah, with the fog and the... Oh, no, 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 like I'm the, talking like he, when he oh, actually... When he actually yeah, like in. not okay. the fog, but when he actually goes in and it's like his entrance is immediately interrupted by hearing Pazuzu Reagan scream his name. Yeah, And I yeah. feel like just the, it's very, the yeah. presence of him walking into the home, um, like you no, feel they do his it well. reverence. I would agree with you, you know? with that. They so do, for, to they me, do, that was enough. Like, for, for me personally, yeah. that was enough To be context. like, this is, this yeah. is meaningful. Yes. Yeah, maybe. That's a very good argument. I personally think that, like, I just... For you, I think no, they, I get it. They like, throw yeah. a lot of stuff at the wall in this film, in my humble opinion. And again, this isn't me shitting on the film because it's a brilliant film, but one of, my, one of my very small frustrations is they throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Not all of it always sticks. Um, and, and we don't get a lot of background. We just have all these little drips and drops where to just accept. Right. And I'm okay with that. Um, mostly because I'm too afraid of you to say it otherwise. Mm-hmm, of course. Um, yeah, but Pazuzu... So one of the things I find fascinating about Pazuzu is that these these demons, these entities, so badly predate Christianity. And, like, they're so ingrained into so many different like it's it's fascinating to me the way these like monsters and demons and and gods and you know like they they transcend and they just evolve and i find that really fascinating because as a believer in this kind of stuff i'm like it would make sense that it would transcend all of us you know Mm -hmm. what i mean that they would because if good and evil do exist from the get-go then of course they're gonna have to just evolve through whatever we call them through history. So Pazuzu is an interesting choice. And yes, he he is actually the the protector demon of pregnant women and of of really and, and of like babies. 
And mothers. And mothers, which is interesting, because then we, we mm-hmm. play with the whole theory you brought up. Um, yeah, so I had said that one of the fan theories uh, that I had heard that I've always enjoyed was that it was actually a benefit for Reagan to be possessed by Pazuzu. Like, when she's playing with the spirit board, and basically she opens whatever pathway is opened, um, you know, any, any, any demon could have come through. And one of the fan theories is, because it was Pazuzu, there was almost a protection that she was, that, 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 that Pazuzu was the one, because apparently, again, with Pazuzu being like the protector of mothers and, and pregnant women and infant children, he has a rival demon. And the rival demon, had that rival demon gotten to Reagan it would have been so much worse. Like, there probably would not have been a survivable Reagan at the end of it. But then it all kind of ties to Chris because Pazuzu is the one... I mean, let's say, like, let's call it what it is. Pazuzu is still a demon. Like, yeah, he, like, you know, there's no he's good still, there, a no, right? still a no good Nick, right? Um, but, like, there's the whole idea that, like, he is there to, you know, almost in a way, like, protect Reagan, protect Chris, like... You know, he's still going to do his demony stuff, but at least his arch rival did not get to her first. So there, like That's I said, it's not a very fleshed out fan theory. And again, I'm going off a lot of a memory yeah, uh, yeah. when I say that. But no, that's interesting. That though. one, that one, I really. Uh, the other one I liked was that um, this one I like. Pazuzu, the whole journey that we see, he was actually stalking Karis the whole time. Karis was the vessel that he wanted and he had to go the really long way around but they say in this fan theory that like because Karis like the Karis in, in in the subway when when the homeless guy is asking for money like you got you know money I was an altar boy father or I was I'm <laughs> yeah. a Catholic I was an altar boy like they altar like Pazuzu boy. is basically altar. able to kind of use all these little bits and pieces when you know Karis has that dream about his mom and the su- like going coming mm-hmm. up the subway steps, and then he sees that flash of Pazuzu, like the end game the whole time. The reason that Karis. Reagan, the reason that Reagan got picked. I mean, she's living in the house right next door to the to, to the, the yeah, you know to, to the, the yeah Jesuits, to where he's yeah. at. Like it, the whole thing really yeah. really revolves around Pazuzu wanted. Karis. That actually makes. I feel like that one adds up. I like that me. one yeah. more than the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm like I could I could buy that. Oh, yeah, and I mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he kind of got what he wanted. You know, like yeah, because it got Karis. It right? did. I mean, I mean it definitely succeeded. I have it. some problems with uh, the book Legion and the Exorcist Three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for you because I know. That it's been a it's minute been a since while. I've seen Exorcist so, 3. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't I want to I say anything. Like, but literally like, yeah. 12 years ago. There's some things that I don't love about that movie that kind of retcons some things from the original. Oh, from the original. Okay, see, I, don't so, realize, I didn't realize they come that much back to it. Yeah, so like I said, I don't want to say too much. We will t- we will revisit that. Perfect. Put a pin in, in this. Put a pin in We'll that. revisit okay. this when we talk about um, The Exorcist 3. Speaking of Karis, can we queer code him and what's his name for a minute? Father Dyer? Yes, yeah, I love them. My favorite romance. I ship them hard. I and love Father I gotta Dyer. be honest with you, in both the book and the film, I definitely queer code that relationship. It's easy to do because they're Catholic priests. I'm just, well, Jesuit priests. It's well, Catholic priests, but it's easy. It's even easier to do because the way they're written, it's so tender and loving and nurturing of a relationship. 
Dyer very much takes care of Karis when he's like in his drunken stupors and when he's like having a minute and at the end of course but I tell you what I love the idea that they might have more than just friend feelings for each other that they can never flush out them as best friends them as companions them as more than just friends them as more than just friends you know being male companions having a love that they can't ever yeah I I do and it adds another layer of interestingness because again we see that Father Karras is struggling with his face but faith excuse me struggling with his faith but other than maybe what's happening with his mother and how hard that is to watch her go through they don't really dive into what's wrong with his faith itself and maybe some of it has to do with that he has homosexual feelings for his <sighs> priest friend i fucking love that that's delicious i do too yeah. i do too. i love both it makes of those it even powers more brilliant it makes carison even more brilliant character. yeah all of them I do Father Dyer is just and the and the actor that plays Father Dyer is just the oh, cutest of cutest sweet baby angel he do and I love that one scene at the party when he's talking about my idea of heaven oh. is a solid uh, a solid uh, white piano you know and I'm it's headlining little, every night yeah. and they love me and like, I'm not gonna <laughs> say that's a little you know on brand for someone who might be a closeted gay man but right. I think I, I think most of my friends would know me well enough to say that's fair versa that um, fair. and I actually really like I said I really love that interpretation because I think it adds a beautiful layer to it all yeah. um, that I that I think is played out well on screen which is which is nice um, I also love Ellen Burstyn in this mm-hmm. I think she's freaking so good at Chris McNeil she's amazing and she's amazing. she really is she's so fun and she you go through so these emotions with her I think the scenes, I gotta give Friedkin props for how grueling the scenes in the friggin' medical places are. Those, honestly, more pound for pound, are the scenes I look away the most for. When they oh put, God, like, the, the thing in her, in her neck. The needle in her neck. Like, nope. Right, yeah, like, for for someone who is, is kind of genuinely unsettled by this movie every time I watch it, it is never an easy watch for me. And I'm not, and again, this is why I want to make it clear I'm not criticizing it, because I think the beauty and the p- power of the film is how disturbing and great it is, but... I'm like, oh, for those yeah, medical scenes, they're icky. grueling. Even the book didn't feel as painful as, like, I was yeah. like, hey. Well, you know what? The, it's just, it's that, it it's the life. difference between, yeah, like, exactly. Like, seeing it, like, you know, in your mind's yeah. eye, reading it in the page. And then, like, hearing little Linda Blair scream. Oh, well, she's a when freaking she's so delight scared. in this movie. Oh, she's amazing. But, like, seeing Reagan have to go through all of this. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, Reagan knows she knows that she's not herself. She knows that none of this medical it's stuff so is helping. Hard to watch, but she has to go through it. Oh, she so has hard to, to watch. go through all of it. Oh, it's so hard to watch. And then just her her complete transformation is so hard to watch as a mom, as a like just oh, just watching a sweet little girl turn into a literal monster mm-hmm. is just oh. And the, the the it's so jarring and powerful what they do. With, well, first of all, like I said, Linda Blair, just Jesus, this poor kid went through hell and did such a little, she was such a little champ about it. But, um, and I know she had a body double for a lot of the stuff and I know like, you know, the voice double and everything, but still that kid went through the ringer. Yeah. And, um, it's so scary. So many of the scenes are so profoundly scary to me. I'm, I can't remember if it was in a podcast that I listened to. I can't remember if it was in Inside the Exorcist maybe or something I read. Yeah. But during her audition, um... They were talking to her, like, about scenes in the script. And they were, like, you know, what was she, like, 11, 12 mm-hmm. years old? And, you know, they asked her if she, like, Knew understood what. what things were. Like, you know what 
you well, know masturbation Friedkin. is. Friedkin asked her. Yeah. She knew. She understood what. Yeah, that and scene she meant. she was like, yeah, I know what that means. It's you know she as as a young girl was able to tell oh him God, like I yeah. know exactly what it is, and she apparently just like not in graphic detail. No, she but, did like, in graphic she detail. She describes what what it is she knows what it is so you and i purchased a a book this weekend called the exorcist legacy and i've been trying to like skim read through it to catch up to these episodes and yeah she in graphic like she has a really cringy he literally says in his memoir friedkin that he's like do you know what that is and she's like yeah it's jerking off and she's like he 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 and he's like well do you understand that do you know what that is and she's like yeah and he's like have you ever done it and she's like yeah haven't you doesn't everybody like and she was, he was like, that's it, that's our girl. Like, he yeah. knew that that was it's, the right actress. But ew, William Friedkin, you're talking to a child. But also, like, go Linda Blair. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm so uncomfortable. It, it kind of, it's it, so it, uncomfortable. It's one of those things where it's like, you know when somebody can handle something. Uh, like, yeah, but it's, knew, that was such a yeah, cringy no, way to get to icky. it. Right, it was so icky. Um, all right, so is it time to talk about themes and the emotional shit I get from this film and why sure. it's so wonderful? So my biggest one is, and I'm going to put a little pin here, Jackie, and be like, fuck off to all of the the people who make, make us feel guilty about momhood and horror. Because there are a lot of critics and podcasts and stuff out there where they roll their eyes at the trope of the mom in horror. But a lot of the moms in horror are, again, literally crazy and horrible. Right? So to get the good moms in horror are the ones that, like, I'm here for. Like, I'm here for Chris McNeil because she goes through hell and back for her kid and is unwavering her dedication to getting her kid better. I was telling you before, the, the mom from um, Child's Play. Mm-hmm. Go, like, they're, those characters, I just, just leave, leave me alone to enjoy them as parent, as a mom who cares about her kid and goes to hell and back. Mm-hmm. Because that is a theme that people who are mothers can't get enough of. Now, I'm going to go on record as saying I hate when people judge women who don't want to have parents, have, have kids, but also like, please don't judge me for wanting to have kids. Yeah. That's exactly. not fair either. No. You know? No. And I know people are going to roll their eyes and be like, Oh, boo hoo. She's crying about how hard it is to be a mom. But I'm not, it's not about that. It's about like, don't come down on me because I do fall into like a somewhat stereotypical trope of the mother figure. Um, because the truth is society has made us the, the three, right? We're the maid, the, the the mother or the, or crone. the crone we're gonna be those three things whether we like it or not so what's so horrible in leaning in a little bit to your to the role that you're in in the moment if it fits you know just because yeah. it fits that stereotype doesn't mean that i don't get to enjoy it as a feminist i think it's okay to be a feminist and a sucker for a mom yeah yeah that's my i agree you know don't shit on me because i don't shit on people who don't who who don't want to fit the trope yeah. of the mom. I I love the people shirk that shit. Don't rally behind women and say women have the right to choose. And then when the choice is not the same choice that you have, you shit on them. Exactly. You know? Like the right to choose 100%. is universal. Correct. And that means I choose to have children. I choose to not have children. Mm-hmm. How and about, I think, you know, and we I just... think characters in either vein are perfectly okay. Yeah. And I hate that people are like, oh, I'm so sick of the trope of the mother. Well, maybe maybe it's okay that we have our our little trope. Like maybe some tropes are just meant to be tropes because we love them. They're universal. You know why the Star Wars story is a trope? Because the epic story will always fundamentally, it's hard, be the exact same story. You know what I mean? Like the trope is a trope for a reason. Maybe some tropes are okay. <laughs> that's it. That's that's there. Um, but I do want to also talk about and circle a little bit back to the idea of deep horror because what I think 
even like when flashes of the exorcist are on in the background, which I was laughing because yesterday we kind of had that experience, ironically, you and I. And for you, that's comforting. For me, it was unsettling. Mm-hmm. The, it's never, to me, it's never background noise. It's never because it's so emotionally draining, this film, to me. Wow. Yeah. And I know it's not for you. I know it's enjoyable. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, and I, and I do too. I respect it and love it too in its own right. But to me, the true horror of this film is that whether it's Damien dealing with his mom or whether it's Chris dealing with Reagan's transformation, whether it's the crisis of faith, whether whatever aspect of it, every theme in this film circles back to that bottom line of like, we can't control anything. Mm-hmm. We just go through life hoping nothing takes hold of us that's bigger than us. And it, none of it is in our power, really. But we like to pretend it, and that's the the, the crux of the... And none of it matters because we're just going to die at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. So the, the dilemma of ex- existence, to me, is so beautifully the horror of this film. That's why I get annoyed when people try to say this isn't a horror movie because I think there's nothing more horrific than the dread. Who would say this isn't a horror movie? I don't know. I feel like there's people... Blatty said it wasn't a horror movie. Oh, well, he's probably drunk. <laughs> He's a freaking Irishman. Oh, <laughs> no, God. Know. No, that is hysterical. Yeah, he was like, this is psychological, you know, uh, thriller. Like, no, sir. No. No, sorry. This is horrific through and through for me. Yes. No, I, I know that you wrote it. I know that <laughs> yeah. you created this. But I will respectfully. 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 <laughs> R.I.P. Respectfully. Um, you're wrong. <laughs> Respect. Respectfully. R.I.P. Now, you know, I done had to find a feminist interpretation of this film. And I know it's probably going to make you a little mad, but I really think this is a beautiful metaphor for getting your period. <laughs> and the, the demon menses. The, de- the demon, which is menses. Which is, it is. It's a bitch, um, I'll tell you right now. But, like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little bit with the, the monstrous feminine here, and I'm also going to... I'm going to call my period Pazuzu from now on. <laughs> Please I'm on, I'm on my Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Guys, I ate a half a pound of chocolate. I cried. I'm on my Pazuzu. I'm on my Pazuzu right now, guys. It is. That's my new thing. I used to call it my Shark Week. Now I'm on my Pazuzu. Here's your Shark Week. (laughs) Here's the thing. What what blows my mind is how we as a society cannot handle little girls. Like, we are so uncomfortable with, like, 11, 12-year-olds because they are just on the cusp of womanhood. And while we celebrate boys hitting puberty and like, yeah, your 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 boys drop and your voice drops and you're doing great there, champ. With women, we can't handle it. And I'm gonna quote an article from uh, a, a reference. I couldn't find an author, so I'm just gonna give uh, a shout out to the website itself, Duck Eyes. Um, Society harbors a particular disdain for young women entering puberty in ways that directly contrast the way that it looks at boys. The reason why a young girl is one of the best horror protagonists is twofold. One, society is afraid that once girls experience puberty, they will become uncontrollable creatures Mm -hmm. beyond comprehension, which I have two girls in puberty, it's true, and reason. And two, women are afraid that they will become what society fears they will be, and they mourn the loss of time in their lives, in which they were viewed as the most pure and innocent, or in some cases, they fear that they will become their mother. So this, to, to summarize, they basically are like, you're, the reason why this is horrible, the reason why she becomes a monster is because she loses that purity, that innocence. that And it's so true, right? Like the, the sexualization of that kind of youth is always creepy to me. Mm-hmm. And this film never once does that, which I think is, is, is oh, thank God. But it's true. We are, 
we as a society and and a patriarchal society is still so terrified of this young girl and her power her power to be the and oh she's gonna be the evil monster now taking that one step further the monster is feminine barbara creed says um the possessed or invaded being is a figure of, of objection in that the boundary between self and other has been transgressed she basically says the the possessed girl is literally like the monster is feminine because it's and and this is the part that i love the most uh the inability of the male to control the woman whose perversity is expressed through her rebellious body. The Barbara Creed goes on to slam the, the the exorcist because the the male has to come and cleanse her of the evil thing, right? Which is a patriarchal, an extreme feminist reading of this of of the exorcist. But it's interesting to play with the idea of like, well, she still has to have men come and save her. From the deep. Well, that's your fucking religious bullshit. Well, well wait, me personally? Well, well, I don't no, understand. Like, anybody that believes. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, when you take it from that feminist lens, it does take an interesting, to- like, tone to it, twist to it. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's because of the Catholicism of the story and because of the Catholicism of obsession. But playing with that, it's interesting to think two men have to come and cleanse you of the uncleanness as a feminist reading of it is interesting to me. Okay. No? No. No. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. I feel like I'm O for like six tonight. Oh, yeah. No, you're, you, you're like going to take a big L on this one. Why? Okay. Uh, so here's my problem with that. Is, you know, the, am I, okay, how do I say this? So the problem is, like, you're saying the men have to come and cleanse her. Well, no, I'm saying the, you're over, like, the, my entire argument here is that this movie could be read as a metaphor for puberty and becoming a woman and getting your period. So if you take that reading and you apply that lens to what happens in the story, it's fascinating that a man has to come and cleanse her of, of, the, of, of the, the, the demon. Because in Barbara Creed's interpretation, in hers, not mine, the, the, demon, the, the demon is a metaphor for adulthood from the transition from little pure innocent girl to dirty full-on woman. I guess to me that that just doesn't even make sense because then like then we change the whole plot of the movie. Well, yeah, no, but it's just a, it's just a philosophical look at Yeah, but to me it doesn't make sense because then we don't have the movie. Like how else It's a metaphor. It's not literal. No, but I but like to me like she's it I don't know how to express it. Like, if if the men, if the priest don't cleanse her, like, just so she just stays possessed, we don't get rid of? She would have died. That's not an interesting statement on a patriarchal. <laughs> to me, to me, I just, I don't, I don't put any credence into what she's saying because to me it just, you know what? I, I'll say this. Anybody can reach and anybody can no, formulate I, I an agenda. I don't think to dismissing Barbara Creed's entire argument that this is yet another this is yet another example of how a woman who's not what we exactly need her to be, the young, sweet, cute little thing, is the the horror. As a comment on our society as patriarchal. I don't think you get to just dismiss it just because you love the exorcist and you don't like that she puts that lens on the possession. To me it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. Fair enough. I'll, I'll just say that I don't buy it because I, 
let's let's okay let's give her metaphor maybe i'm not the, selling it right because maybe like i've read this book me, and it, i buy it, everything it, in it to, like how in her perfect world then how does this metaphor become unpatriarchal it, it doesn't it that's that, that's what she's trying to say she's trying to say that horror there she's not condemning this film in any way shape or form she's not condemning any of the films well, she she's, you about. said she slammed it no barbara creed no barbara creed didn't slam it no Oh, I thought you said that she slammed it because of no. She she just said that like it's it's a it's a patriarchal film. No, it's, she doesn't slam it. She just says it's every film she talks about in the whole book is about how what's the horror of a woman in our society is if the woman is somehow a, a warped version of herself. That's the monstrous feminine. That if and and she talks about like your vagina as a, as a monster to to men. Like it's a very it's, it, I don't know. I, I, I would almost encourage you to read the book before you make any last judgments. Maybe I'm not selling it well. Because I don't think it's, like, unfair of her to, to read that into these films. In fact, I think that's what I do here. So I'm confused as to why we're we're so shocked about it. Isn't that I don't what know. I always to do? Me, to, I don't know. <laughs> to me, that one just seems a bit more far-fetched than... But again, like, anybody can look at any sort of art and interpret, you know, their theories and interpret their reads. Like... Art is extremely personal. And if that's how she wants to read it, then you know what? Go Barbara. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, well, I mean, and you do the same thing. Like you, you will always read and interpret a film almost completely different than I will. You know what I mean? Like to each their own with that. If, if that's how she reads it, she's way more educated than I am. So I will just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, gang. Here we are. We're back. Guys, I've bad news. <laughs> so the uh, cursed film that we've been talking about. Yep. Uh, it apparently. Got yeah. It got me good. It 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 extends it got me to deep podcast. <laughs> you got me deep track. Oh. Exorcist, I deserve, I expected better, you know, I expected this film to do me dirty, but not you. That's the real villain That's here, Jackie. That's Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Not me. So, Shit on the film. No. No. Uh, so yeah, we had to take a little break. Yeah. Because for the first time ever, we actually had to stop and have some words. Yeah, for, for the first time ever. For the first time yeah. ever. Uh, so the curse does extend <laughs> to, to podcasts. podcasts. Um, Terrifying. We had to kind of yeah. talk. We had we had to hug it out, bitch. We, we hug it out, bitch. We did, but you know what? First, I um, threw you across the room, <laughs> and yeah. then you jumped. You went to bed because you were mad at me. The whole bed started shaking. Whole bed started shaking. Yeah, shit went got weird real fast. It did. And we fought, and now we're okay. We're okay. Yeah, we came out the other side better, and stronger than ever. We really did. Yeah. Um. So, so let's fucking talk about the movie. So let's, well, first talk about our personal relationship. Yeah, I want to talk about our personal relationship. Mm-hmm. So, the um, the version from 1973, mm-hmm. obviously, it's fantastic. And you know, even when you go on like HBO Max and and put, uh, you know, when I watch it, it all the time, mm-hmm. it's that theatrical version. I know. What the Exorcist did, or the producers, or who, who, the movie studio, whatever they did, I always credit them as doing the smart thing because instead of rebooting this. In 2000, they re-released The Exorcist, basically the director's cut. Yeah. And they call it The Exorcist, the version you've never seen. Mm-hmm. And we 
in the year 2000. Yeah, went and saw it. Went to see this movie. It was terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I mean, and in this one, there's so many more flashes of the Pazuzu face. Oh, my God. Um, And then, like, I think famously, the Reagan spider walk down the stairs (gasps) is the most Mm -hmm. jarring Jarring thing. thing. Um, And, yeah, we got to see that together. We did. And from that. blows my mind. And seeing it on the big screen, I thought, was an experience. It was so much more overwhelming. And I wish that more things, like, instead of rebooting it, Movies. They're re-releasing it in theaters. Yeah, they, they are. are um, which is but exciting. I think like with a lot of these older movies, like instead of rebooting it, like do that. Like give me a good director's cut. Oh, like I man. would take that over a reboot any day. And so when we went to see this movie in the year two thousand, um, as as most besties do, inside jokes sometimes come out of it. And one of the things that has lasted. These Forever. last 23 yeah. years. Oh my gosh, is Guai. Is Guai. Guai, Demi. Guai, you do this to me. Guai, you do this to me. We say that so much that our families yeah, actually our say it. You know, say it like yeah. my my boyfriend, we know, the dog will do something silly and he'll Gwai. look at the dog and go, Guai. Guai, Demi. <laughs> and it's funny because my very, nephew says it. Guai, Demi. Guai, Demi. <laughs> uh, yeah, Guai. It's got the G. Yeah, G, it's like G apostrophe. <laughs> yeah, why? Um, and it was funny because very recently we were watching this and I'm like, you know. That was funny. Are we being a little bit racist? Because <laughs> in the scene in the hospital when Damien Karras is with his mother, she clearly says, why? You know, she doesn't do the guy. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. And I'm like, were, were you just being like, you know, douchey assholes and like no, making I mean, fun probably, of it? Probably, yeah. But you know what? You know where we get the guy, Demi? Is because in the later scene mm-hmm. when Reagan is impersonating his mother, yeah, she puts she the guai says guai. She is the racist. She is the racist. Pazuzu, Pazuzu is, is the, the racist. racist. You're not the Jersey Ghouls. No, no, no. And that's where the guai demi <laughs> yeah. comes from. And it's, she, it's, yeah. it's so like we literally have been saying it for 23 years. We really have. And and it's because we went to see it. And I'm so glad we did though, because I think the the, the director's cut is so scary. It's so much better. It's the one that I have on DVD. Like I said, like you know, I'll throw it on HBO, and it's the regular version. Which actually, the first couple times I watched it, I didn't realize it. But like when I was specifically looking for like you know, in the a flashes. scene where like the mm-hmm. lights are flashing and you see the Pazuzu face and and things like that. And the Pazuzu face is weirdly effective for just being a makeup face. I'm telling you, I remember like years ago. I think I think I was with my friend Carl and he and I were watching it and it was in the regular theatrical version but there's a scene when like it's like a black screen Pazuzu flashes up real quick and then a black screen and then it goes to whatever scene they're in and we literally sat there and it took us a couple times but we paused the movie Mm -hmm. on the Pazuzu face so scary and I'm like that was so, and it's literally like it's grease makeup. Just it's grease. you know, yeah, it's, it's just, just it's the makeup you get at Kmart or at Halloween kind of thing, <laughs> and it scared it's me so scary so much. And I think that's part of the brilliance of this film is the scenes that are so simple yet so. And listen, they they made a lot of contraptions to make this work. Like the, I yeah. have to say that like this was just very clever filmmaking in that like the way the bed moved. Oh, so much of this was of course practical effects in the you know when it was made, but. It was so cleverly done to be so minimal yet so jarring and effective. Like, you think you see so much more horror than you actually see with this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a testament to the use of the special effects and the way they created so much of this. And her makeup, her deterioration. Oh, my God. So uh, famous makeup artist Dick Smith, known for The Godfather, mm. known for The Exorcist, he's the one that creates this... 
Uh, deterioration. That yeah, deter- like it's, that's the best yeah. way to do it because she really goes to see her in stages oh, yeah. to that final Pazuzu Reagan mm-hmm. with just the na- oh she's so gnarled she's like and rotting, it's just completely yeah. complete. That's such a good word. It is. I do. I love the way that it, she becomes this rotting corpse. Mm-hmm. And like you know, it's like it's so much of the beginning of it. You just see this, you know, sparkling, dazzling twelve-year-old girl. She's laughing. She's having fun. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you start to see her. The first, the personality goes down, and and then it goes from personality to physical. Yeah, and it's so many things. The the scene when Sharon brings Karis into the room, when just, "Help me" is written is, on her oh, stomach, yeah. and oh, it is. It's so jarring, and it's so the effects are so good. It's so creepy. And Linda Blair does such a beautiful job. The actress who played who was her double did an amazing job. Like it's just so well done. And so powerful every time, no matter what, for yeah. me. Um, I want to talk about uh, the detective, Kinderman. Ooh, William I, Kinderman. See, I, I treaded lightly here because he, in the book, kind of irked my soul a little bit. And it's funny because, see, I don't think they do him justice in this movie. Oh, interesting. Because he, I mean, he, you don't get to really see the compassion That's as fair. a father. Yeah. that you get in the book because he talks about you know in the movie he makes mention so that you know book, he has right? he has a daughter of his own and yeah. things like that and i believe and again like you have to kind of keep watching the other movies and read the other books but like at this time his daughter is right about the same mm-hmm. age that reagan is um and i don't think you get to see the compassion in him in the movie that we get in the book. In the book, you see him struggling because he knows this little girl killed Burke Dennings. Yeah. And, I mean, he and knows yeah, it you know, in the right, movie, you know too. It, right, everybody but, knows it. But right. his compassion, I think, is way more fleshed out. I don't think... He, I don't think he gets the justice he deserves in this movie. I, I would agree with you. you I know? think his character in the book gets a lot more... Right, like, it's a much better arc. The conflict of, like, I know this girl is technically guilty of a murder what do I do? Right. Is she, and also like, I was a sucker for like the very philosophical debate of like, well, how liable is she? Right. When she's quote unquote possessed by a demon. Right. And right? even so Kinderman, like, like Kinderman. The rest of the world would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like he knows something is off. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that yeah, he, he quite believes correct. that it's a and it's demon. Such an interesting battle. It and, is, yeah. and that's so much more fleshed out in the yeah. book than it is in so the movie. Is the death scene. Yeah, in Karis the movie. Oh death my god, Karis's death yeah. scene. Talk about again. Like that's a movie that I've seen. I, I will say that I've seen it more than 167 times. Wow. So eat my ass, Beetlejuice, because I've seen it more than you. Um, but <laughs> definitely never seen it that many times. I don't. I, you know what? I, I don't know that you, I. You I have, may have. I, I very well may have. At least bits and pieces. But like. Seriously, the scene at the end, and the same thing happens in the book, when Karis has stumbled down, stumbled, when Karis has been flung down the steps at M Street, and uh, Father Dyer is giving him his last rites, and you don't even see Karis's face. It's just that, like, the image of oh, his, his bloody hand squeezing Dyer's hand, mm-hmm. and, like, is his, that's his communication of, you know, are you sorry for all your sins? Like, do you accept rights, that? Yeah. Like, the last rite scenes... Kill. Oh God! Every it time is very I cry, effective. I cry. I cry in the book. I cry in the movie. Like oh, just God. his whole sacrifice. You know, Damien has so much guilt about his mother, and it's like if he can save somebody, you know, Damien couldn't save yeah, his mother. He, saved he a, couldn't he saved save his mother. Yeah. He was gonna save this mm-hmm. little girl. I love the relationship between <coughs> Damien and Chris as well, 
because hmm. you see, like at first, you know, Chris it's is like, like, yeah, yeah, like he's he's dismissive. He is, dismissive. but like he's dismissive to a point of duty. He's just like, I can't just do an exorcism. First of all, you know, psychology exists now, and it's not just somebody's possessed by a demon. He says it. He's like, there are, you know, you're diagnosed with schizophrenia. You're diagnosed with multiple personalities or things like that. It's, and it's, it's it's such a frustrating scene, though. It you're is. Like, Come on, dude. And like, that you goes, have this mom saying, you know, I did all that. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about the big fear of this movie being, like, powerless. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this before recording, that, like, it, you know, this happens every day in, in our personal lives when someone is sick beyond medical help or if somebody is dealing with mental health issues as the partner of someone or the mother of someone or father of someone it's in that serious you know in that in that position (coughs) when you know you almost become a victim as well because you are completely powerless to help somebody you love no matter what you do real horror you are completely powerless but i i do i love their dynamic when chris and and damien first meet because she's like you can see it, she's laying it so all out desperate. there. Desperate and so and it's heartbreaking to watch for me. It's so and, hard. And he's bound by his order, yeah, where he's bullshit, like, "I can't yeah. just do it." He's like, "I have to get approval. Yeah, there has to there. be signs. Yeah, right, like there right. has to be all these different, you know, boxes have to be checked before mm-hmm. the church will allow this to happen." And he even, you know, goes against his order to to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually they do come around, but like. He's recording Reagan, trying to figure out if she's mm-hmm. speaking a language. I do like and... the speaking like the language backwards thing and everything. I enjoy that scene. Yeah. I do too. I, a I Scooby Doo. And I like the whole when it's discovered, like the we are no one. Yeah, the I like we that. We are too. no one, mm-hmm. and that actually I like the we too. I like well, the, you that know. ties into the whole thing with Legion, mm. the, the 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 book that's like essentially the sequel to this, because like the whole thing is we are Legion. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's not just one one demon, demon. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they're Chris, Chris and Karis, their dynamic. I really like because there's almost that, you know, they're, they're bonded through trauma. Yeah. And I, I really like the way they play off each other. I love Chris's emotion at the end when, you know, she knows what Karis did, you know, and you know, she knows what he did Mm -hmm. for the family and Mm -hmm. things like that. And, and again, we're. We'll talk more about it when we get to the third movie, when we talk about, I'll at least we'll briefly talk about the book that, you know, that is the sequel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but there's, yeah, yeah. there's, there's just, there's just a whole lot within those characters. And again, and this is a testament to the actors that played them. I mean, Ellen Burstyn is, I mean, she's so quintessential. Like, part of the reason I love this movie so much is her character. I love the character of Chris McNeil. I love the way she plays her. Um, I love to, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but in the very beginning of the movie, the first time we see Damien, he's, he laughs. We see him smile. Yeah. And that is one of the only times. Every other time we see Damien, he's just, he, I mean, Chris even describes him when she was talking to Dyer about him, like, who's that? He's dark haired, kind of brooding. Yeah. Um, so I love in the very beginning, the contrast of what their life was mm. you know and then Damien's mother gets yeah. really sick and then the yeah, death and, yeah. and again testament to the actors that played them um I, I think also in the end scene when after everything when Reagan like when they're leaving I think Linda Blair does a great job in that moment of feeling so much more mature and changed in in a weird way she feels like a woman more than she does at the beginning of the film and I think that's a very brilliant interaction between her and the priest and everything I think it's really well done. Yeah. 
Um, and just outside of the movie itself, um, so The Exorcist gets to put horror on the map for the amount of Oscars that it wins. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, William Peter Blatty wins the Best Picture. Um, Ellen Burstyn is nominated right. for, is for her role. Yeah. Um, Jason Miller is... Uh, nominated for best supporting role. Linda Blair is, you know, nominated best support. Like, so many people. Well, and there's no denying the acting in this film deserved every bit of it, yeah. in my opinion. Especially Linda Blair and Chris yeah. uh, Ellen Burstyn. Ton, and, ton of yeah. acting uh, <laughs> nominations. Cinematography, best writing, best screenplay based on another medium. Yeah, so like the New York Times can eat, can eat your ass. Look at you got more than enough proof yeah. against that guy. <laughs> like that guy. <laughs> but yeah, um, with with William Peter Blatty winning Best Picture, like yeah, it's a huge horror, win for yeah, the genre. It, it really 100%. is. And this film, I think, does is one of those films like The Shining, like you know. I'm trying to think of other ones, but like where it's like this, this is a heavy hitter. This is one of the ones that puts horror on the map. You know, I would say get out would be another one, you know, like films yeah. that you're like, no, fuck you universe. Like this take, take horror seriously. Yeah. This can, it can be epically good like anything else. Yeah. And then once again, I think it's fair to bring up and we've said it before, like Tony Collette being completely snubbed 100%. for hereditary. I will die on that. Still, hill. Yeah. still a crime against humanity. I will die on that. That she hill. was snubbed for her Oscar yeah. for, cause she just a nom. Yeah. Even it, if she didn't get it. Yeah. Just, just a nom. Because, because I'm going to say that was one of the best roles I've seen in years. Absolutely. Yeah. One that of the best so acted. Oh, yeah. And she, so she gets, snubbed a lot in my humble opinion yeah no i i agree because she is she's she is phenomenal more than the most fantastic yeah. thing ever i think it's funny that we both have parents that like don't even want to like think about kind of how you said that how billy graham is warning his his yeah. followers <laughs> our parents are funny. both kind of in the camp like i have i have a you know catholic father who it's like you know you even talk about that kind of stuff yeah. and it's like even people sometimes like i can't watch the movie because if i watch the movie then I could get possessed if I talk about the movie. Yeah, people have genuine and I mean, phobias. They of... say in this movie, like the ones that get possessed are are the believers, the ones yeah, that believe which is in ironic. it. Ironic. Th that's a theme that comes up in other possession movies that I've seen, like uh, like with, with Stigmata. Mm -hmm. Like part of the plot point of Stigmata is that like the girl can't possibly be possessed. She's because an atheist, she's, right? You right. know, and it's like only people that are truly devout are right, the ones that right. are possessed. But I think what I love about The Exorcist is that it's not so much that Reagan was devout or, you know, was open to that because of her religion. She was raised kind of without uh, religion. Atheist, yeah. I, I, and so that to me, I love that that just means that there was a doorway opened. and That was bigger that, than, right? Yeah, and it, it, it really didn't have anything to do with Reagan's religion or non-religion. No. That was just... She fucked around with a Ouija board. And she, she found out, out yeah. you know, like that. And to or me, that I makes like, it scarier. That's I, scarier than the religious aspect. Yeah, yeah. That it was just simply, you know, right it's time, time right. right place kind of thing. Yeah. And it was just like, here's, okay, here they come. Like the door got yeah. opened. And, and to think that that's all it takes to have... Mm. The demons come in. You play with a little Which is Milton scary, Bradley right? game. Which is and, why I don't play with the Ouija board, and bro. And suddenly... They're that's coming so to true. town. Yeah, and that's why, but I think the only thing that is interesting, too, is, like, the, the insinuation that the trauma made her more susceptible, because I do think trauma does make people... I tend to believe that when, like, trauma makes people more susceptible to things like ghosts and demons and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's just me being a corny believer of something you corny. Yeah, but... we've talked about, like, you know, my position on ghosts and, and haunting and things like that, and I have stated before that I think that it's within the person. I have said before, like... 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that there's something within the subconscious, within the psyche, within the mind. I mean, if we can have athletes that can have these like super amazing bodies and this talent that their bodies can do some things that like my body could never do in a million years. Why are we limiting that to just the physical body? Yeah. Why can the mind not be the one that is, you know, something I know that, that you've yeah. had experiences, you yeah. know, and it's like, what's to say that it wasn't something, something that within in my you, childhood or within, you know, yeah, yeah that like, within or just something your... that made me more prone to exactly. Yeah. And there's exactly. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of oh, evidence yeah. to suggest that. So there it is. There's the exorcist. This is, this is episode has been a long time coming too. Yeah. And I'm glad we waited until now. We were affected by the curse, but we come That's out. That's okay. We came out stronger. We came out better. stronger. Uh, and know. we're not stopping. Oh, no. 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 We have. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. We're too um, far into it. So so <laughs> next week's episode, we're going to be covering uh, The Exorcist 2. God. Speaking of. <laughs> speaking Sorry. Of cur- yeah. Speaking of curses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we hope you guys have enjoyed this. This is a little bit of a different episode. But we do hope you enjoy it. Um, we hope that you like The Exorcist as much as we do. Mm-hmm. And we feel like that you are because, again, that is like one of those core fundamental movies that after you have become an established fan, like this is not the, this is not horror 101. This is not one you're going to show your kids to gateway into horror. This is a very specific, like you've graduated to. There's prerequisites. Mm-hmm. There are prerequisites yeah, this to be watching course, this one. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming that most of our audience has seen it. I can't oh, imagine sure. anybody right. has not seen this. So um, what are your experiences, thoughts? I mean, are, does, is this movie one that scares you? So many people say this is the scariest movie ever made. Yeah. You know, are you one of those people that feel that way? My like, mom does. Yeah, yeah. She won't watch it. No, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, yeah. No, that's. I was really hoping to try to get her to watch it as part of this experience. Yeah. She just can't do it. She can't. You know, and even yeah. when she, she tease, I, te- I like to tease her because even when the commercial comes on for the new movie, she gets scared. She has to change the channel. Oh, no. <laughs> She's like, I always look for the clicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we are definitely excited to see the new Exorcist yeah. coming out. So, um, yeah, yeah, we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Just search for Jersey Ghouls and you will find us there. Give us the like, the thumbs up, the five stars. Do the thing that makes the algorithm happy to make us happy. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. listening to the Geekscape Network.